You're sitting down and staring at your phone. You're alone, yet surrounded by the world's intangible problems. So you attempt to escape into your VR headset. But now you're literally surrounded. Manifestations of pure evil thirst for your blood. They prepare to strike, and your intuition takes over. One by one, you deftly block, dodge their attacks, then retaliate with the fury of a thousand blades. Your challengers perish all before you. You have risen to become the champion of this head-mounted destination. Until you fall. Hello, and welcome to Head-Mounted Destinations. This is a podcast about VR and VR game design. I'm Matt. I'm Carlos. And today, we're talking about melee combat. Many people, possibly including you, dear listener, may think that VR is more immersive when it simulates reality more accurately. Very realistic physics, that sort of thing. Full-body avatars, uh, enemies that when you hit them flinch physically... uh, simulated ways that kind of thing well today we're going to discuss until you fall and suggest that the abstract authored melee combat that we find in that game can be a better solution to melee combat but what does better even mean in this context this is uh, actually part of a larger theme that we'll be coming back to again and again over the course of this podcast which is physics versus abstraction generally in vr games Where do physics sandboxes and or interactions uh, shine the most in VR, and where do they falter? So today, in addition to Until You Fall, we'll be throwing in some references to other games that use a more physicalized, simulationist style of melee combat, things like Boneworks and Gorn and a couple of others. Just to lay the groundwork, when considering sort of broad design questions like this it's important to make the player experience goal explicit so that everyone can agree what we're trying to do in the first place you don't want to use wiggle words like fun or cool without understanding what that means so for melee combat today uh, we're especially talking about the kind of systems that make you feel like you're a badass who owns the battlefield so there's some challenge uh simply rolling in and totally steamrolling all the enemies in a room doesn't actually end up making you feel like a badass. It just feels lame. So there needs to be some challenge, but also some mastery there so that you can get better and feel like you're really using your own skill and mastery to dominate a field. And this sort of plays into this idea of flow, which is a very common topic in in game design that we'll probably bring up multiple times in future episodes. Right. When we say that, like, crushing the battlefield, just kind of mowing through everything feels lame, it's more so that it's just not rewarding. Like, there wasn't any challenge because you mowed through, or there wasn't any backstory to the fact that you mowed through a group of enemies. So we'll be analyzing things like that and calling out those types of progression feelings at times, uh, and maybe sometimes in another episode. Right. So that being said, there are other potential experience goals that someone could design for. Some of them, you can imagine a melee combat system where you want the player to feel outnumbered and overwhelmed and like they're barely pulling through rather than sort of dominating the battlefield. Um, Or maybe other more out there things like... uh, feeling like you're actually being beat up, something like that. So there are other possibilities, but for the purposes of this podcast, we're mainly focusing on that 
idea of there's a challenge and then you gain some mastery and you feel good about overcoming the challenge. Yeah, so on that subject, let's start looking at Until You Fall and its unique take on melee combat. And so uh, for those of our listeners that are unfamiliar with Until You Fall, it is a first-person sword combat-focused roguelike game. Uh, and you are like a knight just hacking and slashing their way from arena to arena. There's like a handful of enemies that usually, depending on your difficulty, attack you one-on-one or in groups. And they have a cool, almost like Mike Tyson's punch-out take on uh, melee combat that we'll get into in just a couple moments. Uh, But that is kind of the high level of the game. You're You're going and fighting enemy after enemy until you fall, and then you come back, you spend currency to upgrade your weapons, and you fight again until you fall. And that is the game loop. Yep. While planning this episode, we spent a lot of time thinking about how we could talk about the high-level design of the game, the roguelike loop, the meta progression, that sort of thing. And we ended up deciding that that was a whole episode in itself, potentially. So today we're just looking at the certain aspects of the low-level combat implementation. But it's worth noting that it's a fantastic game. And if you haven't played it and you're interested in melee combat at all in VR, you should give it a shot and see what it it provides. Yeah, you all can look forward to the happy, fun fanboy episode of Until You Fall sometime in the future. (laughs) So getting to the reasons uh, why we like it. They have a lot of good telegraphing from the enemy to the player. So most of the time while you're facing an enemy, when you need to block, your blocking is communicated to the player by these blue long crystals that appear, and you need to line up your weapon with the crystal uh, before the enemy attacks. And you can tell this by the crystal like filling with light as to how much time you have left. So it's a very sort of like yes or no, you were in the shape or you were not type of blocking system. Yep. And the other half of the combat system is attacking, which is very loose. Um, You just really sort of slash. And as long as your weapon hits them, you deal damage. And so that's the, the core loop of the game is blocking these telegraphed attacks and then attacking in the spaces between them or even during with your other hand. Uh, And doing these two things will deal damage. And once you deal enough damage to an enemy, they get staggered and you get to do a combo. Right. And these combos are displayed as a like circle with a directional slash going through it. So with your own sword, you match that slash direction with a wide swing and it counts as a critical strike on the enemy. You can do X number of critical strikes before the combo is finished and things kind of reset. Um, and if you kill an enemy, they get like just blasted back away from you in ragdoll fashion. There's two other elements that are worth mentioning for the purposes of this, this discussion, which is dodging. So some enemies will attack, and instead of telegraphing with the blue crystal where you have to hold up your weapon in order to block the attack, it'll instead have an arrow pointing left, right, or down, and you have to duck your body left, right, or down in order to pass. And this is, again, a very binary yes or no thing. And if you don't do it, then you lose one health point. And then there's also projectiles, which are slower-moving indicators that will get launched by some enemies that have a direction, much like the blocking and the combos. And you just have to have your weapon 
in that orientation when the projectile reaches you in order to block it. Um, there are other elements to the combat system, dashing, knockback, soul burn, that kind of thing, but they're not important to high-level critical understanding of what makes the system good. So why do we like this combat system? Well, it does a good job of achieving the experience goal that we talked about before. For one, the attack system where you can just strike any way that you want gives you the ability to put your own flair on things and do a sort of like flurry of swords, just like wham, wham, wham kind of attack. Um, and it's more about the magnitude of your swing and in the case of the combos, the direction more than contact, more than landing the blade on a particular piece of armor or unprotected area on the enemy. Um, so it's very forgiving. It's hard to screw it up, which is great. Yeah, it's very forgiving at first. And <clears throat> with the critical strikes, that's where they get more rigid. Like, it's not difficult, but it says, hey, no more freestyle attacks. Like, hey, actually follow this strike pattern. And I think that's a really fun push and pull to the to the combat system. On the topic of those, like, critical strike combos... I want to say that, like, it, it's a little lenient. Like, you don't necessarily have to, like, s strike the body like we mentioned before. Like, there's some sort of trigger box in front of the character model that's that's taking the the directional thing. Um, but it seems like you can kind of futz that a little bit. Definitely, I didn't find anything that was, like, super gamey about it. But it wasn't as finicky or rigid as, say, Saints and Sinners, like, head-stabbing mechanic. Where, when I was playing that, it felt like a lot... I would say at least 40% of the time when I would go stab a zombie or a walker in the head... Uh, my knife would kind of like just slip off of it, off of their head or away from their head. Like it was made of like rubber or something because I wasn't doing it at the exact right angle or with the exact right amount of like speed. So I would say all in all, the combo system has r great like communication, uh, direction and feedback in that like when you do successfully strike well actually stepping back a second it lets you know how much time you have because the ring around the directional prompt is like uh, slowly draining which is a good call and then you have the directional slash in that same circle and then once you perform that slash like you see the ring is back up to full a big flash happens and a hit react from the character yada 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 I think that's really the key is there's this, I don't want to call it a uh, trinity, but the like attack block combo system, uh, once you understand it, which it's a little bit into it, unintuitive to start, um, you know, blocking like, oh, what's this crystal? Put my sword up, whatever. But they tutorialize it as the very first thing that you do. And then now you understand, okay, when this indicator comes up, I put my sword and then I can attack by swinging like this. Combo works like this. And once you understand those things, it's very easy to understand if you screwed up, why it didn't work. And when you do something, it generally does work. Uh, so it, there's never a, a point where you try to block and it doesn't register. And then you feel frustrated because the game didn't recognize your input. Or you try to attack and it doesn't register. It, that doesn't happen because it's this very discrete almost binary system and by discrete i mean there are distinct outcomes it's not a gradient of like oh i did a five percent hit or like i tried to block and it was only sort of a block no it's either a block or not a block 
Yeah, and I appreciate that sort of binary switch. Uh, it's very straightforward, albeit maybe some may say it's arcadey, but it's very direct and gets the job done. And then they they build on this uh, basic attack block combo system uh, with weapon classes and that kind of thing. Yeah, so they have uh, like three different classes, uh, seemingly. They have daggers slash swords, which are very quick-moving weapons, can deliver a lot of attacks, but maybe at like less attack power. You got slow weapons like axes, and then you have uh, punch-style weapons, which are literally these like glaives or gauntlets. Mm-hmm. And so these weapons have very clear differences in the way they play. For example, the slow weapons uh, have smoothing on them so they lag behind your hand so if you try to whip a heavy weapon around it won't move quickly enough um so you have to be much more deliberate in the way that you move this and this has a clear effect on attacking and blocking where you can't attack as fast and if you're trying to block a succession of quick strikes then you're probably not going to be able to get your weapon there fast enough and uh the game does actually support having like two punch style weapons uh this is odd because punch weapons don't allow you to block since they're not like a a sword or some sort of long uh object so what it becomes is actually this really fun dodge only run and it just basically rather than bringing up the crystals now every attack uh makes you dodge in a certain direction and it kind of forces you to do different uh like left right diagonals and stuff that's an example of how having these this discrete understandable system allows the player to play a little bit in their head with ideas of like oh i could run a punch style weapon in this hand a slow weapon in this hand and like run this strategy and they can play it out in their head a little bit and understand the consequences of their actions Contrast that with physical weapons in games like Boneworks um, or Blade and Sorcery, where it's not clear, for example, in Boneworks how, if I pick up a sledgehammer, how that's going to play differently from a lighter weapon, because strikes aren't necessarily captured in such a discrete way. So if I swing the sledgehammer, maybe it's not moving fast enough, and when it hits the enemy... How much damage is it dealing? You know, is it dealing full damage? What does that even mean? It's harder to understand what results will come out of manipulating the system. Yeah, and I think uh, something that is very difficult with these physical weapons that Until You Fall really pulls off well are projectiles. Uh, Not like bullets per se, but just like throwables Um, in let's let's say like boneworks or games like half-life alex if you if somebody threw a grenade at you it would be relatively tough to grab the grenade like to catch the grenade half-life alex only lets you do this cool trick because it gives you a pseudo telekinesis ability so in until you fall projectiles are thrown and they have a good long flight time to you and they have the same almost like critical strike appearance in order to communicate like this is the direction you need to hold your blade to block it um which was kind of like uh i would say is a clever reuse of a existing asset um so now blocking a projectile feels more like catching it even though it's like somebody casting a spell or throwing a dagger at you you can just hold your sword out at the proper direction and just kind of keep it there while you're fighting off a different enemy yeah i that's one thing i really liked about the projectiles was it 
added a layer to the combat that was distinct from the immediate block attack cycle that was going on. So with a grenade that's thrown in, uh, you know, say Alex, it doesn't necessarily mesh perfectly with the gunplay in terms of the timing. Yeah. But in until you fall, it's very you have a very clear understanding of this enemy in front of me is going to attack like bam, 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 because you've memorized their attack patterns. And so you can think about, oh, in between those first two strikes and the third, I can block this projectile that I see coming that's slower. So there's this idea of planning out your your motions and having control and mastery over the situation. But that only is enabled by this concept of enemies having clear, memorable attack patterns. Yeah, and on the topic of these clear, memorable attack patterns, Until You Fall does a really great job of like communicating this, whereas more physicalized games have problems with this, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But the enemies in Until You Fall we have clear archetypes and they all like have a clear recognizable progression. So like the first enemies we see are very grunt like enemies. They have no armor. They don't even really have faces. They just kind of punch at you. Uh, And then you level up to like the sword knights who are just like these taller dudes have imposing armor. And like beyond that, a big tanky hammer knight enemies so they're like thick boy versions of the knights who have a shield a big hammer uh and they all do these different attack sequences and you eventually meet their like leveled up versions which will have either like a a black and red palette swap or some additional like doohickeys on their character model like spikes and stuff that then extends or mixes up those attack patterns to kind of mess with you as you make it later in the game uh something i think that's really cool is that the uh ranged enemies that i that we've kind of mentioned so far they actually will jump over the player if the player like rushes them too much whereas most enemies will like punch you backwards like this enemy jumps over you and like forces you to 180 turn which i think is like a really good use of the oculus quest so i just wanted to bring that up that's something that many physical com- melee combat games are missing, which is like high mo- levels of mobility from the enemies. A lot of them have enemies that just shuffle around because they need to be driven by physics motors so that when you hit them, they react physically. But Until You Fall has these almost cartoony animations that are super readable, which means they can do stuff like having enemies leap over your head. Yeah, and it's still believable. Like... It's it's still very believable in Until You Fall's case that, like, oh, okay, this magic-wielding, dagger-throwing enemy can, like, jump over my head. I see the character properly, like, crouch or bend their knees when they land to roll out of the impact, and it, it all makes sense. Like, in a physicalized environment, that would be so much more difficult because of all the other forces at play, whereas in Until You Fall, it's just an animation that's playing out. And again, like these animations, I don't think you could cancel out that flip over you, but the animations can be canceled if you like kill that enemy before they finish the attack, which is fun. Contrasting Until You Fall's combat archetypes that we just talked about with Gorn, Gorn is 
well, taking a step back before we dive into the archetypes, let me explain what Gorn is. Uh, Gorn is a gladiator arena first person brawling game where the user plays like this nameless gladiator and you're put into an arena and other gladiators with big goofy heads fight you. It's basically uh, just over the top, gory violence, and it's very cartoony. Uh, so you can like grab somebody's head, you can hold their shoulder with the other hand and literally rip their like neck apart and have their head in your hand. Um, but it's all like physics driven. Uh, so a lot of these characters, they have problems uh, <laughs> in showing like what their attack patterns are. The, the animations in Gorn have these big comical windups where they'll swing a weapon, sort of like move their arm almost like 180 degrees as they swing <laughs> and it will sort of like drag them forwards and it's almost like their bodies aren't being held up by their legs they're just like stumbling forwards and it's super goofy but yet yeah, it has that issue where you can't learn of like oh this enemy does this particular wind up and this enemy does this other wind up and you can't plan your motions as precisely around those attacks these characters do have attack patterns uh, or at least they try to have attack patterns. They're obviously not as clean or potentially readable as ones that are more authored and, I guess, arcadey, like Until You Fall. But physics games can have archetypes. Um, we've mentioned Boneworks and we've mentioned Gorn now. Boneworks has clear enemy I won't, uh, sorry, let me take a step back, actually, because I was going to give Boneworks way too much credit. Boneworks <laughs> has enemy archetypes. Are they clear? Not really. Uh, so anyway, main point is physics games can have archetypes, but oh boy, do they have a much harder time actually like showcasing what their archetype is. Yeah, I speaking specifically about melee combat, getting these archetypes to feel different and allowing the player to plan around them, super difficult uh, when it comes to physicalized melee combat. A lot of the archetypes emerge with properties that lie outside of the melee combat. Or it's just, oh, this guy has more health, or he has a gun and he's going to shoot at me. And those sorts of things aren't specific to, and in fact really don't have any relation to, whether the combat is abstract and discrete or physicalized and simulationist. To explain Boneworks briefly and why we're bringing it up, it's I'm sure many of you have heard of it or seen it or played it, but it's notable because both the player body and the enemy bodies are completely physics-driven. Your character can't lift things that are heavier than their strength because your all your joints are being driven by uh, physics motors in the uh, game physics engine. So you, you have s limited strength and all these things because your whole body is actually constrained by the physics simulation. And same thing with the enemies. The enemies are all 100% physically simulated. And so when I swing, you know, weapon or whatever in the game, it's and I, I hit an enemy, none of that, it's not faking it like a lot of games fake it, where it's like, oh, the sword volume hit the enemy volume, and so we'll apply some effects. No, it's 100% just physics bodies. So it's sort of the epitome of physicalized, simulationist melee combat. 
So we've wandered into it a little bit already, but we want to take a moment to cover more generally the pros and cons to both approaches, abstraction and abstracted melee combat and physicalized melee combat. Right. So one of the pros to abstracted melee combat, like we talked about with Until You Fall, is like the really cool authored readable animations that let you know exactly like what is this character intending on doing and like how do I respond to it? And then the visual effects that lead to the strong feedback and like understanding of these patterns. Some people might see that as a con because the sort of exaggerated animations and the vfx for feedback could be considered not realistic but i hope by the end of the episode you'll see that that's not really an issue another pro to abstracted melee combat is that because things are so discrete your motions aren't going to produce the wrong effect if you make an attack it's gonna be an attack and if you go to block then it's going to block the weapon. Uh, contrast this with physics systems, where physics systems are physics engines are notoriously finicky and janky. Um, you know, your weapons could get caught on stuff awkwardly, or you could make a blow, and for whatever reason, it just lands softly. It's like you're caressing the face of your enemy with a sword, and obviously that wasn't your intent. But because your actions are mediated through this very complex, honestly not very realistic physics simulation, your intent is not interpreted correctly by the game. The discrete systems in an abstract combat system also let you understand why you failed or succeeded, which is potentially the most important part of any system, because if you win but you don't know why you won, that's much less satisfying than if you lose an encounter, but you understand exactly what went wrong and what you could do better next time. Right. But some people might find that a discrete system or these more authored systems are more constrained. So you sort of lose that impromptu moment of a fight where you take the hooked underside of your axe and you sweep the leg of your enemy combatant. That's not allowed and until you fall because they haven't actually coded in that functionality or have accepted it as part of their move set. Whereas Blade and Sorcery, you can absolutely do that. You could even like potentially traverse parts of the environment using parts of your weapon because you have that full freedom of use while it may feel more sloppy or appear more sloppy at least you have that freedom but yeah some may see it as a con to have those restrictions of oh i can only strike diagonally down left like i want to just strike however i want yeah that's probably the biggest pro to physicalized systems it's this creativity in the combat and at least in theory it's intuitive of i can use one hand to hold an enemy back and then like hit them with the weapon of my other hand and it all works because it's it's mediated through this physics system and that was when i was doing a little bit of research for this episode and looking at why people praise boneworks and blade and sorcery so highly this came up again and again of you can fight in any way that you want. Any way that you imagine you can take down an enemy, you can sort of pull it off within this sandbox. It's the freedom of that choice. Personally, and this might be a bit of a sidetrack, but whatever, 
Personally, I think that the more interesting parts of combat come from more gamey systems that are layered on top of this this base thing so yes this creativity in combat can be immersive but what's more immersive is having a strong understanding of the specific combat system for the game that includes like armor on the enemies or energy shields or stun stagger states or special magic powers you have or you know, potentially damaging the limb of your enemy and how that impacts how they attack. And the stronger of an understanding that you have of those systems and correspondingly your ability to master and manipulate them in order to turn the combat to your advantage, that's where the immersion comes in. And that's when you start satisfying that experience goal of feeling like a badass that's overcoming progressively larger and larger challenges that aren't just more enemies or enemies with more health. Yeah. To now poke and prod at the physicalized combat. Uh, As we kind of mentioned before, but I'll nail into it now, it's sloppy. Like, there's no really other way to put it. It is... It's sloppy in the sense of, like, it's fully physicalized. Therefore, anything that could go wrong probably would. And the best way I can kind of visually illustrate this to you, my dear listener, if you are a somewhat movie buff, Until You Fall feels like a elevator action fight scene from a Jason Bourne movie, whereas uh, that same battle in Gorn could feel like the scrappy back alley brawl with Rowdy Roddy Piper in They Live. Like, it's just completely different completely different experiences in the sense of like mastery uh i yeah i guess just like right off right out the gate mastery of what you're doing and until you fall you're already composed <laughs> like you're like okay i am a composed knight i know where to put my things in order to retaliate and when you're playing gorn or boneworks it's very much like oh this this thing's approaching me uh, what what do I do? Like I I don't know if it's gonna touch me. It's kind of just flailing its arms. Like if it's flailing its arms, I guess I'll maybe push his chest away from me. Uh, like and then I'll grab him by the leg and swing that leg around so I smash his head against the wall. And you know once he's stunned, I'll just grab his head and keep smashing it on the ground until I know the character's not moving anymore. That may sound way more compelling. That latter half may sound way more compelling, but in execution, it is going to look and feel a degree sloppier than what I just described. Yeah. I feel it may be an exercise for the listener to imagine how you might reverse these, how you might produce that similar rough and tumble, drag out fight feeling with a more discreet, precise system that's not so sloppy and uh, conversely how you might take a physicalized melee combat system and produce results that feel much more composed and precise and masterful to wrap up talking about the general pros and cons to physicalized and abstracted melee combat something that i've been thinking about is it seems to me that physics melee combat systems present almost an inherent trade-off between capturing intent and presenting challenge. And that's a little bit abstract, so I'll break it down. If you have a weapon in your hand in a physics system, 
that follows your hand one-to-one, then you're essentially capturing player intent perfectly because, you know, I have this hammer and I swing it and every time the hammer is going to swing and and hit the enemy, it's not going to get caught on anything. But it's also not very physicalized and there's no way for the enemy to actually block that attack because the enemy is not there in real life. My motion controller, my arm is going to keep going. It's not going to stop on the enemy weapon. So the enemy weapon somehow has to physically stop my weapon from moving. But in doing so, now my intent of swinging through is subverted a little bit. And what this leads to is in order to prevent players from cheesing challenges by like wiggling their weapons, you have to do a bunch of tuning and and workarounds of the physics stuff. But then that means that more and more you can't necessarily pull off the exact motion or you can't pull off any motion you want to. And it leads to this idea that some people will say of like, oh, well, you have to like role play like you're there. You have to act like you're actually swinging this heavy weapon and then it will be fun. But in real life, you don't have to role play like you're swinging a heavy weapon because you actually would be swinging a heavy weapon and you would be feeling the weight and the impacts. And so I guess that's my main argument against why physics actually isn't as immersive when it comes to melee combat is because you aren't performing the thing that your body has trained to perform in real life. To add on one thing for the role play aspect of what you just said, Matt, uh, it is, I would say, more difficult to role play that something is heavy when you have these very light controllers in your hands and more so in a combat setting. Like, let's take me having a sledgehammer in Walking Dead Saints and Sinners and getting ready to kill a walker. When I'm holding my sledgehammer, you know, I move my arms around, or rather, I move my real hands around and my arms will move a little bit slowly. But when it comes to that critical moment where I'm holding the head of my sledgehammer high and I'm ready to bring it down with like the full force of zombie hating passion onto this walker, it's almost like I am balancing an object rather than holding an actual sledgehammer. It's like the inverse of what you would want. You would want that satisfying feeling of bringing that heavy thing down and like with intent and like destroying something, but instead you get this hot because of how the medium is right now, you get this sort of more hollow sort of like, I brought this down. Hopefully I brought it down with enough speed that it hurts this enemy. Or did I do it with enough speed and enough of a wide gesture that I think that's even the bigger thing is like, wider gestures tend to matter with these physicalized things and it just makes it hard to read the role-playing aspect especially with weight yeah that's a good way of putting it so something that's really interesting about physics in games right we talked about physicalized combat and for the most part i think you can get a sense that we don't really like it all too much but that doesn't mean that we're against physics in general, right? So physicalized combat doesn't equal having a non-interactive world or even having an interactive world, right? You could you could have blade and sorcery and have this really dead world, which last time I played was the case. Like the arena is just an arena of geo and you can't really do much with it. The most interesting thing you can do in the world is like taking the bottom side of your axe and hooking it onto a rope and riding it like a zip line to another platform. But other games like Half-Life Alex and Boneworks 
for Boneworks, even though the combat's not that fun, the the worldly interactions do have an appeal. Like being able to open a door however you want, like being able to actually grab a door and like peek a little bit, being able to bring your weapon up and like shoot through the crack in that door, or in some cases being able to like destroy parts of the environment and strategically use that, you know, like shooting out a pane of glass so that you can stick your arm through it and shoot downward. These are things you can do in Boneworks and Alex, and it really drives home it's like it's a that grounding feeling to the player like oh this is actually geometry that actually matters i need to maneuver my body around it that's all cool it's just that the actual close quarters combat with physics doesn't rub me the right way on that front i am not opposed though to having like a physics world uh that allows for puzzles that like half-life alex pulls off yeah, Half-Life Alex is the perfect counterexample to any sort of conflation between physicalized combat and a physicalized interactive world because so much of that game has all these like little interactable props and the, the world feels very rich and very real, but it doesn't have any melee combat. The closest thing I would say they get to that is uh I, I don't e I don't even know if the combine can punch you. Like maybe they punch you, but it's like really not physics. You can't touch them. And uh, mm -hmm. Jeff, you know the almighty Jeff in the middle of the game, he just walks up to you and like spits on you. So it's like very clever way of them having like a very cool interactive world and still executing on decently like authored combat that is. It all still works in such a way that the player feels grounded enough to call the world real and to circle it back to something we talked about way earlier in this episode is the idea that real means the use of physics or simulating like real life physics. I think especially in a VR sense the idea of real is just like how much do you buy in to the laws and the fiction of the world around you. And more, probably more so the laws, right? So, like, until you fall because it has a consistent set of world laws, such as these blue crystals will appear that let you know how to block, you know, hand wave it as your intuition or whatever. These, these enemies can jump over you, like, these things are going to react a certain way and it'll consistently react a certain way. That, to me, sounds more real than being in, like, this weird physicalized environment where like you know sometimes when i punch someone in the face i definitely threw my back into it but they didn't feel it or maybe they stumble back and they fall and start you know glitch slapping into the wall like a gary's mod character that that's just my case to that <laughs> i couldn't have put it better myself honestly so that about wraps up our spiel on abstract melee combat versus physicalized melee combat. We hope you're thinking about VR a little differently today after listening to this episode. And of course, if you have a brilliant idea about physicalized melee combat or how to implement it to make it more readable and answer some of the problems we brought up please let us know about it via our reddit reddit.com slash r slash head mounted podcast and as always thank you so much for listening we hope you have a great day hey there if you like this episode and you want to hear more please visit headmountedpodcast.com 
and please sign up for our email list so you can get notified about new episodes. You can listen to the show on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to discuss this episode or suggest future topics, visit our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash headmountedpodcast. If you want to show some extra love and really help us out, please follow our Twitter at Mounted Head and Facebook page at Head Mounted Podcast. Also, tell your friends about us. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.